Welcome back to the Perryville Podcast. Today, we are going to be listening to scary stories. First up, Brenna with Just Delicious. Just Delicious by Alvin Schwartz. There was a man who loved to eat. Every day, he went home at noon to eat lunch with his wife. The man was not a good husband. He was a mean, bad-tempered, overbearing bully, and his wife was afraid of him. She was a shy, timid woman who did everything he asked. If she didn't, he would often beat her. One day on his way home for lunch, the man stopped at the butcher shop and bought a pound of liver. He gave it to his wife and told her to cook it for dinner that night. His wife had prepared pasta for lunch, so so he sat down to eat. While the man ate his lunch, his wife told him that a rich old woman in town had died about and her body had been brought to the church next door. The man was not interested in what she had to say. He was enjoying his plate of ravioli, which he washed down with a nice glass of wine. He didn't want to stop eating long enough to tell her to shut up. Finally, he said, enough, I've got to go back to work. That evening, the wife began preparing the dinner. She seasoned the liver and cooked it slowly in a pot with vegetables and broth. After a while, she lifted the lid and the liver looked like it was done. So, she cut off a small piece and popped it in her mouth. It was just delicious. The flavors were rich and vibrant. She thought it was the best meal she had ever made. She tasted another piece and another and another. It was so good she couldn't stop herself and before she knew it, the pot was empty. Then, she thought of her husband and she began to panic. He would be coming home soon. What would he do when he found that she had eaten all of the liver? He was not the type of man who would understand. He would be very angry, and she had remembered the beatings he had given her before. She did not want to face that again, but where could she get another piece of liver that late in the day? It was then that she remembered the rich old woman who was lying alone in the church next door, lying in an open coffin, waiting to be buried. After finishing his meal... Her husband got up from the table, patted his belly, and said, that was just delicious. He had never had a better dinner. The salad with a drizzle of olive oil and just the right amount of garlic and vinegar, the fresh garlic bread, and the tastiest, most tender liver that almost melted in his mouth. He looked at his wife. Aren't you going to have some? He asked. I'm not hungry, she replied. You finish it. That night, they went to bed. The man had fallen asleep, but his wife was lying in the darkness, unable to close her eyes. All she could think about was what she had done. Just then, she thought she heard a voice in the distance. My liver, it said. Who has my liver? It sounded like the voice of an old woman. Gradually, it came closer. I want my liver, it said. Who has my liver? The wife listened. Was it just her imagination? Was she dreaming? The cry came again and again, piercing and terrible. Give me back my liver, it said. Give me back my liver. No, 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 she whispered. I don't have it. I don't have your liver. Now the voice is right next to her. Who has my liver? It asked. Who has my liver? The wife was trembling with fear. She pointed to her husband and said, he does. Suddenly, the wife awoke in a cold sweat. She was so frightened she could barely breathe. She couldn't stand the strain any longer. She shook her husband, and when he woke up, she confessed everything. She told him how she had eaten the liver he bought. She told him how she had crept into the church next door. She told him how she had slit open the belly of the corpse deftly cut out the liver and brought it home to cook it. Her description was so vivid, vivid, her husband could almost see it happening before his eyes. As he listened, he grew more and more angry. Then she told him about the ghostly voice she had heard, and he grew more and more fearful. The man was terrified of ghosts. 
I'm the one who ate the liver, he said. That means she will be coming for me to wreak her vengeance. He got out of bed, and without a word, he went downstairs. His wife sat in bed, wondering what he was going to do. A few minutes later, she heard his footsteps coming up the stairs again, and when he reappeared in the doorway, she saw he was holding a knife in his hand. She screamed and screamed. Later that night, the husband crept into the church next door. He approached the open coffin and placed a fresh new liver in the belly of the corpse. Then he went home and climbed into bed. His sleep was never disturbed again, and nobody ever saw his wife again. I am reading Red Ribbon by Alvin Schwartz. Bill whistled as he strolled through the park. He was on his way to meet his girlfriend, Sally. He could smell spring air. He jingled the engagement ring in his pocket and, th and thought about asking Sally to marry him. Sally sat down on the park bench, and Bill kneeled down in front of her. Sally, Bill said, you are the most beautiful girl I've ever met. I love you, and I want you to be my wife. Will you marry me? Sally laughed and said, yes, I will marry you. As Bill gazed lovingly at his bride-to-be, his eyes lingered on the red velvet ribbon Sally always wore around her neck. Why do you always wear that red ribbon? Bill asked. Sally said, Bill, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill smiled at Sally and left the ribbon alone. Bill and Sally were married that June. Bill found a lovely little house in a nice neighborhood and they moved in. Bill bought Sally many party dresses, but Sally always wore her red ribbon with each outfit. Bill thought it was odd. Sally just smiled and said, I must never take off my red ribbon. After a few years, Sally found out she was going to have a baby. This news delighted Bill. Sally talked with her friends who had babies. Bill talked with his buddies who had children. They talked together late, late into the night about what they had learned from everyone. When the, day, when the big day came, Sally said, please tell the doctor, I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill was frustrated, but he promised Sally that he would tell the doctor. After the baby was born, Bill gave Sally flowers. Thank you for the flowers, Bill, said, Sally said, but thank you for telling the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill did not understand why the red ribbon was so important. Do you want to hold the little, do you want to hold little Billy? Sally asked. Billy, Sally, and little Billy lived happily for many years in the small, lovely house in this nice neighborhood. When little Billy was a baby, he would sometimes reach for the red ribbon around his mother's neck. Sally would gently take his little hands in hers and coo at him, saying, Mommy must never take off her red ribbon. The red ribbon had frustrated Bill for a long time. He loved Sally with all his heart, but did not understand her need to wear the red ribbon. After many years, Bill had an idea. Our anniversary is coming up. I will buy Sally a beautiful necklace. She will take off that old red ribbon so she can wear the beautiful necklace. Their anniversary came, Bill took Sally to a fancy restaurant overlooking Central Park. They had a delicious meal. Then Bill gave Sally this, a velvet box with a beautiful diamond necklace in it. She opened it, smiled, and tears came into her eyes. Bill put the necklace around her neck and started to take off the red ribbon. Sally stopped him. She said, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill sat back in his seat with a huff. He looked at Sally and shook his head. I may never understand, Bill said. Sally gently placed the diamond necklace back in the velvet box and closed the lid. It is lovely, Bill. I will treasure it always, she said. But I must never take off my red ribbon. Why? Bill asked, as he had for so many years. Sally smiled sadly and shook her head. She did not answer him. Late that night, Bill was still awake. I've loved, I've loved Sally for more than 20 years. 
but she insists on wearing that horrible red ribbon, red ribbon around her neck. I think it's about time I found out why. Bill got out of bed and walked around to Sally's side. Bill carefully pinched the ends of the bow on, on the ribbon. He began to slowly pull on the ribbon. The bow became smaller and smaller. The loops of the bow pulled through and only a half knot was left. Bill slid his finger under the half knot and tugged. Zip! The red ribbon gave way. Pop! Sally's head came off. It rolled right to the floor, bouncing in the moonlight. One large tear fell from Sally's eye. I warned you, she said. <laughs> the Hook by Alvin Schwartz The reports had been on the radio all day, though she hadn't paid much attention to them. Some crazy man had escaped from the state asylum. They were calling him the Hook Man since he had lost his right arm and had it replaced with the hook. He was a killer and everyone in the region was warned to keep watch and report anything suspicious. But this didn't interest her Al, and was ready and waiting on the porch when her boyfriend came to pick her up in his car. They went to a drive-in movie with another couple then dropped them off and went parking in the local driver's lane. The blue outfit was a hit, and she cuddled close to her boyfriend as they kissed to the sound of romantic music on the radio. Then the announcer came on and repeated the warning she had heard that afternoon. An insane killer with a hook in place of his right hand was loose in the area. Suddenly, the dark, moonless night didn't seem so romantic to her. The lover's lane was secluded and off the beaten track. A perfect spot for a de deranged madman to lurk, she thought, pushing her amorous boyfriend away. Maybe we should get out of here, she said. The hook man sounds dangerous. Oh, come on, babe. It's nothing, her boyfriend said, trying to get in another kiss. She pushed him away again. No, really. We're all alone out here. I'm scared, she said. They, they argued for a moment. Then the car shook a bit, as if something or someone had touched it. She gave a shriek and said, Get us out of here now. Jeez, her boyfriend said in disgust. But he turned the car but he turned the key and went roaring out the lover's lane with a skirt screeching of his tires. They drove home in stony silence, and when they pulled into her driveway, he rushed to help her out of the car. He was being so unreasonable, she fummed. She fummed to herself. She opened the door indignantly and stepped into her driveway with her chin up and her lips set. Whirling around, she slammed the door as hard as she could and then she screamed. Her boyfriend leaped out of the car and caught her in his arms. What is it? What's wrong? He shouted. Then he saw it, a bloody hook hung from the handle of the passenger side door. <laughs> Night at Rain by Alvin Schwartz. 
One rainy October night, a man was driving past the cemetery. He saw a young boy walking in the rain. The, boy, the man stopped and asked the boy if he wanted a ride. The boy approached the car. His face was pale, his clothes were wet, and he was shaking like a leaf. He opened the door and got into the passenger seat without saying a word. The man felt sorry for the boy, so he gave him a red sweater to keep him warm. The boy's teeth were chattering, and he was still shivering. When they got to the boy's house, the man stopped the car. The boy got out. The man told him to keep the sweater and said he would come back for it the next day. What's your name? asked the man. Timmy, the boy said. The next day, the man went to the boy's house to pick up his sweater. When he knocked on the door, a woman answered. The man introduced himself and asked if she was Timmy's mother. What's this about? she said. The man explained that he had given Timmy a ride the night before in the pouring rain and had given him a red sweater to keep him warm. The woman, the woman sta stared at him and her eyes swelled up with tears. I'm sorry, you must be mistaken, she said. My son Timmy died almost a year ago. The man apologized and left. He was very confused and his head was spinning. He drove to the cemetery and found Timmy's grave. Lying on top of the grave was his red sweater. <laughs> Old Woman, All Skin and Bone by Alvin Schwartz There was an old woman, all skin and bone, who lived near the graveyard all alone. She thought she'd go to church one day to hear the preacher sing and pray. And when she came to the graveyard site, she thought she'd stop and rest a while. And when she came to the old church door, she stopped to rest a little more. But when she turned and looked around, she saw a corpse upon, upon the ground. The worms crawled out, the worms crawled in from up his nose down to his chin. The worms crawled in, the worms crawled out across his eyes, his ears and mouth. The woman to the preacher said, why well, I look like that when I'm dead? You already do, the preacher said. Your skin and bone because you're dead. The woman faded the woman faded and with the shock and split her head on a sharp rock. They buried the woman all skin and bone, but from the grave they heard her moan. I'm not dead, the woman cried. You will be soon. The priest replied. <laughs> the Bride by Alwyn Schwartz. A young couple got married, and after the wedding, they held a reception in the bride's grandmother's house. All their family and friends arrived, and they laughed, danced, and sang long into the night. After the wedding reception, the guests decided to play a game of hide-and-seek. The groom covered his eyes and began counting to a hundred, while his new bride and the other guests ran out of the room, looking for somewhere to hide. Eventually, the, the groom had found everyone except his beautiful bride. The other guests began calling out their name and searched everywhere for the young woman. They began to grow more and more uneasy when they couldn't find any trace of her. Eventually, they gave up searching, and everybody assumed the girl had run away and left her husband. As the weeks went by, the husband accepted that his beautiful bride must have second thoughts about their marriage. He decided to forget about her and go on with his life. A few years later, a cleaning lady was dusting in the attic when she came across an old trunk. Out of curiosity, she opened it, and inside the trunk, she found a rotting corpse of a young woman, still dressed in a bridal gown. There was a wedding ring on one bony finger, and it was the missing bride. She must have hidden in the trunk and accidentally locked herself inside. 
It was impossible to tell whether she had suffocated or starved to death, but her face, but her face was frozen in a silent scream. Big Liz, retold by S.E. Schlosser. The master of the plantation was a firm supporter of the Confederate president and had committed to send as much food as he could to the Southern Army. Things were going well at first until the Yankees began attacking the master's supply lines. The master suspected a traitor among his slaves and soon discovered that the Yankee spy was a slave woman named Big Liz. She was a behemoth of a girl who could pick up two full-grown pigs, one under each arm, and cart them over to the slaughterhouse without assistance. If he confronted her directly and she fought back, she would take him to pieces. So the master came up with a different plan to rid himself of the spy. He approached the giant girl and asked her to assist him with a special task. He told her that President Jefferson Davis had entrusted him with a large chest full of gold. To keep it out of Yankee hands, he wanted to bury the chest where it would never be found. The girl's eyes gleamed when she heard this false report. The master knew she was already planning to betray the existence of the chest to the Yankees. The master made Big Liz carry the heavy trunk several miles out into the swampland, and he asked her to dig a deep hole for the trunk. He sat at his leisure while she worked and strained for hours against the muddy ground, which kept oozing back into the hole. When the slave girl was completely exhausted, the master decreed the hold to be large enough for his chest. Wearily, Big, Big Liz dropped the shovel and pulled the heavy chest down until it laid at her feet. Then she started to climb out of the deep hole, but the master barred her way, and Big Liz gazed up at him in, su in sudden fear as he loomed over her. Traitor, Yankee spy, the master hissed. There is only one path open to a traitor. The master swung his sword at her, and the sharp edge of the blade cut cleaning through the slave girl's neck. Her head went rolling into the tall grass as her body toppled across the chest. The master heaped her over the chest and the body of the slave girl who had betrayed him. Briefly, he considered finding her head and burying it in the pit with her body, but it was too dark to go wandering in the dangerous marshland, and he knew that scavengers would make short work of the head when they found it. As the master walked toward home through the dark swamp, he became aware of a prickling sensation at the back of his neck as if someone were watching him. The master walked faster as clouds obscured the light of the moon. The master's teeth chattered as a breeze cut through him like a sharpened blade of a sword at his side, and his straining ears picked up the sound of footsteps on the path behind him. The master was filled with terrible, superstitious dread of demons, witches, and ghosts, so he broke out into a panicked run, fleeing up the path as fast as his legs would carry him. To his relief, he saw the lights of his house rise before him, and he knew he was home. As he rounded the back corner of his house, he was confronted by a massive, dirt-encrusted figure that glowed with blue fire. The smell of rotting leaves and marsh, marsh grass filled his nostrils as his eyes raced up and up the tall creature until they rested on the stump of its neck, where a head had resided only an hour before. Then he heard a chuckle from the creature's side when he saw the phantom's head tucked under her arm. The master stumbled backwards gabbling desperately in fear as the ghost placed her head upon the ground with one hand and grabbed the collar of his shirt with the other. The murdered slave girl snapped the master's neck in two and dropped his dead body to the ground beneath his bedroom window. Then Big Liz gathered up her severed head and vanished into the darkness. They say that on the anniversary of her death, the ghost of Big Liz is still, is still maybe seen roaming the swamplands near her old home. Anyone foolish enough to walk near her grave will be driven away by the phantom, which to this day still defends the place where the Confederate chest is buried. <laughs> the Appointment by Alvin Schwartz. 
a 16-year-old boy worked on his grandfather's farm. One morning, he drove a pickup truck into the town on an errand, and while he was walking along the street, he saw death. Death beckoned to him. The boy drove back to the farm as fast as he could and told his grandfather what had happened. Give me the truck, he begged. I'll go to the city. He'll never find me there. His grandfather gave him the truck, and the boy sped away. After he left, his grandfather went to the town looking for death. When he found him, he asked, Why did you frighten my grandson that way? He is only 16. He is too young to die. I am sorry about that, said Death. I did not mean to beckon to him, but I was surprised to see him here. You see, I have an appointment with him this afternoon in the city. Footsteps by Alvin Schwartz Liz was doing her homework at the dining room table. Her younger sister, Sarah, was asleep upstairs. Their mother was out, but she was expected back at any minute. When the front door opened and shut, Liz called, Hello, Mama? But her mother didn't answer. And the footsteps Liz heard were heavier, like a man's. Who's there? She called. No one, re no one replied. She heard whoever it was walk through the living room. But then, upstairs to the second floor, the footsteps moved from one bedroom to another. Again, Liz called. Who's there? The footsteps stopped. Then she thought, Oh my God! Sarah's in her bedroom. She ran upstairs to Sarah's room, only Sarah was there, and she was asleep. Liz looked into the other rooms, but found no one. She went back to the dining room, scared out of her wits. Soon she heard the footsteps again. They were coming from, from down the stairs into the living room. Now they went into the kitchen, then the door between the kitchen, and the dining room slowly began to open. Get out! Liz screamed. The door slowly closed. The footsteps moved out of the, out of the kitchen, through the living room, toward the front door. The door opened and shut. Liz ran to the window to see who it was. No one was inside, nor were there any foot footprints in the fresh snow that had been falling. <laughs> the Thing by Alvin Schwartz there were two young boys named Trevor and Will. They spent most of their summer vacation hanging around town looking for things to do. One hot August night, the boys were sitting on a fence by the main road. There was a cornfield just across the road. Suddenly, Trevor spotted something in the field. In the darkness, it was difficult to make out, but he thought it looked like some sort of weird animal. <laughs> he nudged his friend and pointed in the direction of the strange-looking figure. Will said he could see it too. He wasn't sure, but mysterious things seemed vaguely human. The next thing he knew, the thing was gone. The boys craned their necks and scanned the field with their eyes. Out of the blackness came the thing. It slowly walked over to the edge of the field before disappearing again. Trevor and Will looked at each other, puzzled. What was that? asked Will. I have no idea, replied Trevor. This no sooner... Had he said that, then Trevor felt a clammy hand on his shoulder. He turned around and found himself staring directly into the hideous thing of the thing. He let out a yell of terror and surprise. The rotting skin on the thing's face was coming off in pieces, revealing the bone underneath. For a moment, it just stared there silently at Trevor with its dark sunken eyes. Then it suddenly grabbed hold of his arm, and Trevor felt its fingernails dig into his flesh as, she, flesh as he 
wiggled out of its grasp. The two boys leaped off the fence and down, down the road, screaming in horror. They didn't stop running until they reached their homes. They tried to tell their parents and friends about the thing they seen that night, but nobody believed them. When Trevor woke up the next morning, the scratches on, her, on his arm were still there, and after a few days, they got worse and worse. Trevor got sick, and his parents took him to see a doctor, and after examining his arm, the doctor told the boy it was infected and gave him some pills to take. Unfortunately, Trevor's condition got worse and worse, and the infection spread to his entire arm, and it wasn't long before his flesh was rotting and falling off. He was taken to the hospital, but no matter what the doctors did, no treatment seemed to work. The infection spread throughout his whole body, and Trevor was confined to bed and started to waste away. It seemed like it was beyond help, and as the days went by, he steadily grew worse and worse. His anguished parents could only sit there at his bedside and cry as they watched their beloved son slowly rot away. On the day Trevor finally passed away, Will came to the hospital to visit him, and when the boy walked into the hospital room and saw Trevor lying in the bed, he was horrified. His friend looked exactly like the thing.